Hello, and welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast. As you know, this is the podcast where we will study the Bible, the biblical covenant, and its deeper meaning. So, I got to ask you again. You know what I'm going to ask you. Do you have your Bibles ready? If you don't, we encourage you to either pause this podcast and grab your Bible, or make sure you listen at another time and follow along with your Bible to follow the scriptures. So, I will turn it over to my co-host. So, what will we be talking about tonight? All right, thank you. We're going to continue on our series uh, as we deal with the third phase, which is the application phase. However, this particular phase comes in. Uh, The the fourth phase is also uh, dealing with application too. So what we want to look at here is the application of the blood once it was extracted from the lamb or the scapegoat. And our first text that we want to look at or first text is found in Leviticus chapter 4. And in Leviticus chapter 4, we want to look at verse 7 and verses 18. Here it says, And the priest shall put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar of sweet incense before Yehoah, which is in the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall pour all the blood of the bullock at the bottom of the altar of the burnt offering which is at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And verse 18 reads, And he shall put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar which is before Yah, which is in the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall pour out all the blood at the bottom of the altar of burnt offerings, which is at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So here, will we look at the third phase that we are dealing with, then what we are experiencing is that once the sins had been confessed and they slayed the animal, they would take the blood. And once they had taken the blood, it was to be applied. Now they had to apply at least two uh, areas of the sanctuary. One area was in the uh, courtyard and the other was in the sanctuary. So what we're going to do in this particular phase is that we're going to look at the application of the uh, phase uh, in the courtyard. Now, here in these texts, we are told that some of the polluted blood was applied to the horns on the brazen altar of burnt offerings, and some of it was poured out on on the ground at the bottom of the altar. Now, in phase three which takes place in the courtyard of the sanctuary, there were basically two places where the priests made an application of the imperial blood. It was placed on the four horns of the brazen altar and at the bottom of the altar on the ground. Now let us examine now these two aspects of the atonement in its antitypical fulfillment, we will do this by dealing with each of the two basic areas where the polluted blood was applied. The first basic area was the horns of the brazen altar. 
Now, the application of the blood on the horns, uh, and we want to look at the significance of putting the blood on the horns on the altar. Now, when the blood was applied in tight to the four horns of the altar, it carried with it a symbolic significance. What we understand about horns in the Holy Writ is that it represents something. Oftentimes when we read in the Bible about animals fighting, they often will use their horns to fight. Moreover, when we read in biblical prophecy, especially in the book of Daniel, it speaks about the ram and the he-goat, and they fought with their horns. And the he-goat ran with such force to the ram that it broke the ram's horn and so when he broke the ram's horn with his one horn, that signified a victory over the ram by the he-goat. And so we know that the horn represents at least four things. When we understand about the horns in the Holy Writ is that they represent authority, power, strength, and victory. Consequently, when the sinful blood of the sacrifice was placed upon the horns of the altar, it symbolizes the sinner's authority over the sinful life. The blood of the lamb gave the repentant power over sin and strengthened him to be able to be obedient to Elohim. And such an application on the horns made it clear that one had gotten the victory over a life of unrighteousness. Now at this juxtaposition, we want to see how this scenario is portrayed in antitype. In order to do this, we must draw some parallels between the altar of brass and the tree upon which Yeshua was crucified upon. We'll draw these parallels by equating certain aspects of the brazen altar with the tree of which we call the cross upon which Yah's lamb, Yeshua, shed his blood upon. When we consider the brazen altar of burnt offerings, there are at least uh, certain things we want to consider about it as we align it to the cross of Yeshua, the Messiah. Now, the first thing we want to consider is the location of the altar. Now, keep in mind that the earthly sanctuary tabernacle had a courtyard attached to it. Therefore, as we consider the antitypical location of the altar of the heavenly sanctuary, we want to locate its courtyard as well. So when Moses made the tabernacle, the earthly tabernacle had a sanctuary tabernacle and it also had a courtyard. So this would mean that the heavenly sanctuary must also have a courtyard. And so we want to examine and see where the courtyard of the heavenly sanctuary is. So we asked the question, where is the courtyard of the heavenly sanctuary tabernacle located. Let us now reason together 
if we equate the brazen altar of burnt offerings to the cross, then we must draw the conclusion that the courtyard of the heavenly sanctuary tabernacle was located on the earth. Yeshua, our lamb, wasn't crucified in heaven. It was here on this earth. So when we look at the layout of the earthly sanctuary tabernacle, it gives us both the location and the furnishings in the courtyard. So we want to turn into the book of Exodus, in the book of Exodus chapter 40. In Exodus chapter 40, we want to consider verses 6 through 8. Now here what we read here in Exodus chapter 40, and considering verses 6 through 8, it says, And thou shalt set the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation. And thou shalt set the laver between the tent of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. And in verse 8 it says, And thou shalt set up the court round about, and hang up the hanging at the court gate. So here in this, here in these texts, we are given the lo the layout of the courtyard and the furnishings that were there. The courtyard surrounded the earthly tabernacle, and it contained two pieces of furniture, respectively. It had the brazen altar of the burnt offering and the brazen laver. Now, the brazen altar was where the sacrifice was placed, and the brazen laver was where the sacrifices were washed in the water. Now, the laver uh, was where the sacrifice was washed in antitype would equate with Yeshua our sacrifice being baptized in the Jordan River by John. So let's turn to the antitypical fulfillment of that, and let us turn to the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, we want to use the first chapter, and we want to consider verses 26 through 29. So here we have in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, starting with verse 26 through 29, it says, John answered them, saying, I baptize you with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is whom he it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latchet I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. And the next day John seeth Yeshua coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of Elohim, which taketh away the sin of the world. So what we are seeing here is that when we look in the courtyard of the earthly tabernacle, we see the brazen labor, and it was filled with water. And we equate that labor with the Jordan River where Yeshua was baptized. He was baptized in the Jordan. And we also see the altar 
the brazen altar of burnt offerings that was also located at the door of the courtyard gate. And it represented where he was crucified. So Yeshua was both baptized on the earth and he was crucified on the earth. Moreover, as the sacrifice and type was put upon the wood on the altar, would equate with Yeshua being crucified on the cross out on Golgotha. So let us turn to John, the 19th chapter. And in John, the 19th chapter, we want to consider verses 16 through 18. And here that John says in verse, in chapter 19, verse 16, then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Yeshua and led him away, and he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of the skull, which he is called in the Hebrew, Golgotha. Consequently, what we are observing is that both Yeshua's baptism and crucifixion took place upon this earth. This would mean that both his baptism and crucifixion, respectively, corresponding to the labor and the altar would make the antitypical fulfillment of the heavenly sanctuary tabernacle courtyard located upon this earth. So when we consider the courtyard of the heavenly sanctuary, it is connected to the earth by his baptism and his crucifixion, which is represented by the labor and also the altar. It is both the baptism of Yeshua and his sacrifice on this earth, which connects us to the heavenly sanctuary tabernacle. Now that we know that the heavenly sanctuary tabernacle is connected by baptism and crucifixion to this earth, we can now make some parallels between the altar and the cross. Let us now take the altar in tight and compare it with the cross in antitype. Now, the altar is equated to Golgotha, where he was crucified. The wood on the altar is equivalent to the cross. The animal sacrifice on the wood of the altar is equivalent to Yeshua, the Messiah, being crucified on the cross. Now that we can see the equivalency of the altar in type, with the cross and antitype, let us now consecrate on the antitypical blood of Yah's lamb, our Messiah, Yeshua, the Savior. In type, the blood of the animal sacrifice represented the pure, clean, spotless innocence. So the blood extracted from the sacrificial lamb or goat would represent a life of purity, cleanness, spotless innocency. Therefore, in the antitypical blood of Yeshua, the Lamb of Yehoah represents the purity, righteousness, holiness, and sinlessness. So the blood shed by Yeshua would represent a life of purity, righteousness, holiness, and sinlessness. Moreover, let us not forget that when the repentant in type offered the sin sacrifice. 
there was an exchange of the lamb's life for the repentance life, which meant that the sinful life of the repentant was exchanged for the righteous life of the lamb. In like manner, we must keep in mind that when we repent in antitype and give our sinful life to Yeshua, and he gives us his righteous life to us, which means that the which means that at the cross we exchange our life of sin for Yeshua's life of righteousness, which is our blood for his blood. As blood represents life, even so, our blood becomes Yeshua's life, and his blood becomes our life. Therefore, the blood which is applied to the horns of the altar represents the life of the lamb blood of which was taken from the repentant. So the blood applied to the horns symbolizes the application of the sinful life of which the lambs uh, has inherited from sinners. When this polluted blood of the lamb was placed upon the horns of the altar in tight, what did it mean? Since blood represents life and the horns represents authority, power, strength, and victory, consequently, when the sinful blood of the sacrifice was placed upon the horns of the altar, it symbolized the sinful life of the lamb, which comes from the repentant who confessed one's sinful life to the lamb. And when this life was applied to the four horns of the altar, it signified that a sinful life had gotten authority, power, strength, and victory over a sinful life. When we consider the antitypical fulfillment of blood placed upon the horns of the altar, we do so by making some comparisons between the brazen altar of burnt offerings and the cross where Yeshua was crucified. So thus far, we pointed out that the altar is equivalent to Golgotha, the place where Yeshua was crucified. The wood, the wood on the altar is equivalent to the cross he was crucified on. The lamb or the goat sacrifice that laid upon the wood on the altar is equivalent to Yeshua on the wooden cross of which he was crucified upon. The blood of the animal sacrifice is equivalent to the sinful life put upon Yeshua from the sinners. The horns on the altar is equivalent to the authority, the power, strength, and the victory. So when we look at the blood that Yeshua inherited from us, it was sinful blood. And we in, we in turn got his righteous blood, which meant that our blood that was sinful was considered polluted blood, but his pure blood that we get from him is considered righteous blood. 
So we want to turn to the book of Isaiah. Here in the book of Isaiah, we want to look at Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. And we want to consider a few verses, a number of verses here in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. Now in Isaiah, we're uh, reading in the 53rd chapter. We want to start with verses uh, 4 through 6. Here it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did not, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of Elohim, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now what Isaiah is pointing out is that when, we, when he went to the cross, there was no sin in his life. But the sins that he carried to the cross was the sins that we put upon him. When we confess our sins upon him, we put all of those sins upon him. And then the Bible says here uh, in verse 5, he said, but he was wounded for our transgression. So when he was crucified, it was for not his, but our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. See, all of that was placed upon him. And then in verse 8, it says, he was taken from prison and from judgment and who shall declare his generation for he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken so what he was enduring on the cross was not for what he did but for what we did and so all of those sins was laid upon him and he was dying for us and so when he died on the cross he took our sins and gave us his righteousness. And then when we read in verse 10 of Isaiah 53, it says, Yet it pleased Yah to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. So Yeshua became the sin offering for us. He shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of Yah shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the trivial of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall many righteous servants justify many. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. So Isaiah is making it clear that what he was suffering for and dying for as a lamb in the court of the sanctuary was dying. It was for the sins of the people vicariously. But when Yeshua came, like the lamb, he took upon our sins, and that's what he died for. And verse 12 says of Isaiah 53, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. So here we see that the reason why the blood was polluted, because our sins was laid upon him, and he gave us his righteousness. He set us free from sin, but he died for the sins that we put upon him. Now let us turn to uh, 
2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians, we want to look at chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5. And here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we want to look at verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us. See, that's what Isaiah was saying. Isaiah said, our transgressions and our iniquities and all of our sins was put on him. So here Paul is saying to the Corinthians, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of Elohim in him. So when this sinful blood is applied to the horns of, uh, 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 to the, horns of the altar, what does it signify? It signifies that the sins that was laid upon Yeshua, and he gave us his life and took our life, and the, when the priests applied the blood to the horns, and the horns represents authority, power, strength, and victory, so when he applied that sinful blood there, he was basically saying, uh, when we give Yeshua our sins, is that when it's put on the altar, and the altar represents, as we pointed out, authority, power, strength, and victory, that when we have the blood of Yeshua applied, we experience a sinful life, which is given authority over sin. It is given power over sin. It is given strength over sin, and it is given victory over sin. So when we take the blood of Yeshua and it is properly applied to the sanctuary, we have authority, power, strength, and victory over sin. So when we talk about the blood being applied to the horns, it is letting us know that our sinful life can have power over sin through the blood of Yeshua, the Messiah. Okay, now, let us go back to Leviticus uh, chapter 4 and verse 18. Leviticus 4.18. And here we find the other place outside of the horns that the blood was placed. And so we want to, in conclusion... We want to look and see that other place that the blood was poured. Now here in uh, Leviticus 4.18, it says, And he shall put some of the blood upon the, the horns of the altar, which is before Yah, that is in the tabernacle of the congregation. Now the second place that he put it is here, it says, And shall pour out all the blood at the bottom of the altar of the burnt offering which is at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So we see now that the second place in the court that he, that he put the blood was at the bottom of the altar of all, uh, burnt offerings. Furthermore, we are told from Scripture uh, that some of the blood of the sacrifice was put at the bottom of the altar outside of the horns of the altar. So let us kind of see what this 
symbolizes or the significance of putting the blood at the bottom of the altar. Now, when they put the blood on the bottom of the altar, which meant that the blood was poured on the ground, that's where the blood was. Okay. And so when we look at uh, John, let us turn to the Gospel of John again. And in the Gospel of John, the 19th chapter, we want to look at verse number 34, the Gospel of John, 19:34, And here's what it says. It said, but one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. Okay, so the Bible is saying here, that soldier put the spear in the side, and now came blood and water. Now, we know that when that blood and water came out, where did it go? That blood and water came, it went on the ground. It went on the ground. Okay, now, we turn to the book of Romans as well, the book of Romans. And in the book of Romans, we'll look at chapter 8. In other words, when that spear was put in the side, out came blood and water. And here in Romans chapter 8 and verse 22, it says this. It says, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. So the Apostle Paul is saying that when sin entered into the world, what happened? It not only affect our parents, our foreparents, our first parents, Adam and Eve, but when they sinned, it also affected the earth. And so when that blood came out and the water out of his side, it hit the ground. So this pouring out of the blood upon the earth is the antitypical blood of Yeshua touching the earth. It signified that Adam, that what Adam had done to curse the earth, Yeshua's lifeblood, atones for the earth, just as Yeshua takes our sins and gives us righteousness, even so, in his blood, he takes the sins of the earth and imputes to the earth his life blood. He absorbs the sins and gives it earth life in order for the, uh, for, in order for the curse of Adam to be neutralized so that this planet can even continue up until today. For without the blood of Yeshua, this planet would have perished a long time ago. But his blood was redemptive of the very environment that we are in. Just as Adam polluted the environment, Elohim's blood came and purified the environment. So we want to stop there and see if there's any observations or concerns that we want to uh, consider as we look at that third phase dealing with the application of the blood in the courtyard on the horns of the altar and on the ground. Okay, you were saying that uh, the blood, once it's applied to the horns, that the blood kind of represents the sins and that when they're placed on the horns, we would gain power, strength, and victory and authority over those sins. 
Mm-hmm. That's that's the power of the blood of Yeshua. That gives give us a, his blood. Uh, and I know there's a text in the Book of Revelation said we overcame uh, the sinful life by the blood of the Lamb. Yeah, in that blood is power, is strength, mm. and victory, and authority, wow. and all over sin. And I thought, too, it's interesting how you tied in uh, the brazen altar and the brazen laver as, you know, the brazen laver represents the Jordan River, which Yeshua was baptized in, as mm-hmm. well as the brazen altar uh, Golgotha, where he was uh, crucified. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. See, because see, when whenever they had a, uh, when Moses had the sanctuary and they had a lamb, the lamb had to be without spot and uh, and wrinkle or blemish or anything. It had to be perfect. Moreover, uh, the sacrifice before it was placed on the altar had to be washed and clean. Mm-hmm. So they take the lambs and or the goats and they would wash and make it clean from the water in the laver. And so when it was washed and made clean, it could now be our sacrifice. So this would mean that Yeshua, before he was sacrificed, then he also had to be washed and baptized as a symbol of washing and making clean. And once he was washed and made clean, now he could be our sacrifice in the antitypical fulfillment of the sacrifice being clean uh, in the Old Testament, in the sanctuary. Hmm. It's just interesting to see the parallels from the Old Testament to the New in that, you know, I know a lot of people say that, especially with religions, they say that uh, certain things was nailed to the cross or done away with, but it seems like from old to new, everything is still kept in order, that nothing was really fully done away with and moved on from. It was just reformatted in a different form. Yes, that, 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 that's correct. And, and what you're saying makes a lot of sense because, see, what is happening today is that uh, even as people are getting ready to celebrate Thanksgiving, which Elohim never gave us, they're getting ready to celebrate Christmas and all of these false holidays like Halloween and Easter, See, those days does not align itself with the plan of salvation. But see, his true festival days, and which we are basically talking about is the Day of Atonement, mm-hmm. is that they teach us about the plan of salvation and shows the life of Yeshua. But when you deal with the Easter Bunny and, and spooks and you deal with Santa Claus and all of this, those particular days do not help us to understand the plan of salvation. Mm. And yet still most of the Christian world will adopt those days. But yet when you come to uh, the true festival days, they say these things have been done away with. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's not so. As we, more read, as we read into these things and we understand them, we'll find out that they have uh, antitypical fulfillment, which teaches us about the great plans of salvation. So when Moses had the sanctuary and all of the things, they pointed to our Messiah. And if we can study that, the, the things that Moses had, 
in the light of the light of Yeshua, we will see that those things was pointing towards him to have a greater understanding of the plan of salvation. Yeah, you know, uh, I think, too, if any of you listeners who are out there who celebrate Christmas or Thanksgiving and the Easter's and whatnot, I would challenge you to look into the history of these pagan holidays. They are pagan. And all you have to do is just type it in the Google search engine and a lot of information will pop up on regarding it. So I would, I would not only regard you to look and see, but also compare it to the scripture and word. Where do you find these things in there? Because he has set forth for us everything we need to live in life. And one last thing I like to say is that, uh, I remember it was this one rapper and he had this song, I think it's called the B I B L E. And he stated the acronym was basic instructions before leaving earth. And I think that's what the scripture is. It's a guide that we should live by in order to seek the kingdom. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Pastor, can you take us to the word and prayer? I certainly can. I love it, Father, again, as we've saw another phase, so, Father, of the blood as it's circulated through the sanctuary, and how if we come to Yeshua, he can give us that life, and he can give us authority, power, and strength, and the victory over sins. And so we ask that we may learn how to apply the blood of Yeshua's life to our life in such a way that we can see that when the priest put that blood on the horns of the altar, it was letting us know that we have power over sin. Sin does not have to overcome us. And we can overcome by the blood of the Lamb. And we're so thankful, Heavenly Father, that when he, crucif- he was crucified, that when his blood touched the earth, that it was able to hold back the curse of the earth and as you hold back the curse of the earth, then you allow your people to have time to be able to come into the covenant promises that if they would accept your blood, that one day we'll have a life that will measure with the life of Elohim himself throughout eternity because the blood of Yeshua gives us life. And as we exchange our life for his life, then it helps us to prepare for glory. So we ask that you would bless each listener, bless those who study these things, that they may be able to come to the conclusion, O Heavenly Father, that you have provided the way of salvation that is so simple and so plain that all we have to do is give you our life of sin in exchange for your life of righteousness. And in doing so, we are justified and we are sanctified and we can be able to look forward to being with you and the earth made new. And once this is happening, O Heavenly Father, and we look back from glory and we can see that the things that you have given us in your word were true, and most of all, they have given us the redemption that we need. And when we look back, we can be able to give your name the praise, the honor, and the glory, majesty, dominion, power, and all of the thanks for your wonderful blessings. We pray this prayer in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, and for his dear sake we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. That is our podcast for this week. And we want to encourage you to return to the covenant which Yahuwah has cut with us and to follow our podcast weekly. Feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com with your questions, comments, 
And even if you have some suggestions of something you would like the pastor to talk about according to the Bible. And as it states in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, study to show thyself approved unto Elohim, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Until next week, shalom.